This is Race Capital with Chelsea Higgs-Wise and Kat Maudlin-Jackson, where we interrogate racial narratives in our place, space, and time of Richmond, Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy. I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. That's my sentence. The R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. That's my sentence. The R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. It's probably safe to say that you've heard about the Keystone Pipeline that's plowing through native land. From Canada to Nebraska, we know what's happening, and we're outraged. But have you heard about the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, this power project that would change the lives of residents in Buckingham County, particularly those that live in the predominantly black community of Union Hill, where this ACP compressor station would be built? We'll talk more about that later in the episode. But before we get to that, mm-hmm. we want to give you a little bit of background information on who's driving this ACP. So the first big one is Dominion. The Atlantic Coast Pipeline is the brainchild of several energy companies, with Dominion Power as the driving force. This pipeline was proposed in 2013, and construction began in 2018. If completed, it's going to carve up a chunk of Western Virginia to transport natural gas from West Virginia to North Carolina. Also worth noting is that the pipeline is number 20 on 45's list of the top 50 emergency and national security projects. So... This ACP has some major opponents, not just here in Virginia, but from all around the country. These opponents include Al Gore and Reverend William Barber II, who have called out this project's environmental racism, who actually came down to Virginia in February of 2019 during our historic Blackface History Month to call out this type of injustice that's happening in the black community of Union Hill underneath all of our noses. And in spite of that, Governor Ralph Northam, his efforts continue in the way of maintaining our oppression. It's worth noting that Ralph has received hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations from Dominion. Also earlier this month in October of 2019, he hired Grant Neely, former director of strategic communications for Dominion Energy as his communications chief. You may have recognized Grant Neely's face because for the last year, He's been the face of the Navy Hill Project here in Richmond, Virginia. When meeting with community members in offices and out in public spaces, Grant Neely would show up as a Dominion volunteer to advocate for this Navy Hill Project. So our guests today are going to give us some background on the history of Union Hill and explain the opposition to the pipeline, as well as how Dominion has perpetuated the climate injustices from across Virginia. Today we welcome Richard Walker, who's a native of Union Hill, founder of Bridging the Gap, and a vocal opponent. Dr. Mary Finley Brook is a professor of geography and environment at University of Richmond, and also on the steering committee of Virginia Environmental Justice Collab. And finally, Whitney Whiting is the host of End of the Line podcast and has been covering the Atlantic Coast Pipeline for years. So let's jump in. So we're going to dive right on into our interviews, and I'm going to let our distinguished guests introduce themselves, starting right here in the middle. Oh, Richard Walker, uh, founder and CEO of Bridging the Gap in Virginia, a 501c3 nonprofit organization uh, directed to assisting formerly and currently incarcerated convicted felons Mm -hmm. with reintegration back in society. 
giving them support, advocacy. Uh, I write bills in the General Assembly to change the justice system, uh, the laws and the policies that negate individuals that have made a mistake in their lives to regroup or come back into society as a productive member. Mm. May I ask, are you one of those formerly incarcerated persons? Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, that That is the epitus of why I do this. Right. When I came out of prison, and mind you, with 10 years of middle management and experience, uh, college degree, I couldn't get gainful employment mm. because I was being judged on not what I knew, but on my criminal background. Right. So that's how I come into the Commonwealth of Virginia and seeing how vicious the laws are here toward individuals that make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I've been fighting it for since 2009. Wow. And as Brian Stevenson would say, we are all bigger and better than the worst thing we've ever done. Sure. And Richard, can I ask you, what's your stake in Dominion's work and why you're involved? Well, that came as a result of family and the pipeline Mm -hmm. in Union Hill. Mm -hmm. I'm the closest thing to representing my family that reside within less than a quarter of a mile from where the proposed compressor stations to be built. I grew up there in the summers, spending every summer, me and my younger brother were mandated to Buckingham from New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So we were there every summer. And at that time, the Transco line was already present on our property. What's a Transco line? Uh, The Transatlantic Company, uh, Williams, they they already had the first pipelines. Okay. uh, Extending gas through all of Northern Virginia through down pass into North Carolina. And so people that aren't familiar with Buckingham, what is Buck- how far from Buckingham is Richmond and what does Buckingham look like? Buckingham is about an hour and a half from Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, clean air, mm-hmm. fresh land, mm-hmm. awesome forestry. Um, I, you know, the old saying was, you know, New Jersey was the armpit of America <laughs> because of the pollution. Right. I looked forward to coming down to Buckingham every summer, getting fresh air, wow. getting good, healthy food, getting, you know, it was awesome experience all of my life, my, my, uh, childhood life. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone there pretty much. And I tell folk now because of all the controversies with Dominion dangling these monies in front of folk. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Union Hill is related, <laughs> right? One way or another, either through birth mm-hmm. or through marriage, right? You know, everyone in there, everyone, right, right, have a connection to each other's families, right? You know, because years ago, back in the eighteenth, early nineteenth century, folk did not venture outside of their communities, mm-hmm. so they pretty much interacted and engaged with each other within that framework of that community. Sure. So you got cousins with cousins. Right. Distance cousins, mind you. Right, but sure. it's still a bloodline. Right. You know, right. so that cause, that, that intermarriages mm-hmm. is basically what exists today, mm-hmm. you know. Well, you present as a black man, so could I assume then that most of black Buckingham is also black? Correct. Because everybody's related. For the most part, Union Hill. Union the Hill. outskirts uh, okay. Buckingham County is okay. predominantly white. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, outside of Union Hill, but that Union Hill community, yes, it's 83, 85% black African Americans, people of color, that have tilled those lands mm-hmm. and that are former freed slaves, like my great grandfather right. is a former freed slave that he purchased our land back in 1885 for $15. The same land, tobacco field, plantation that he worked as a slave. Mm. 
uh, and the slave owners allowed him to purchase that land. It was uh, 25, 27 acres for $15. We've had that land on in our family for over 100 years. Yeah. And here we have Dominion coming in wanting to seize it through eminent domain or trespass against our legacy, mm-hmm. our family history. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's... I'm not going to allow it to happen. I'm not laying down for them to just think that they can come here and roughshod over top of my family. It's just not happening. Right. Um, we just recently had our family reunion, mm-hmm. uh, which we've held every year since 1950, before I was on this earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just had one last month, right. Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. There was over 120 family members showed up wow. from all over the country. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is a force of strength that we refuse to allow Dominion to come in and just do what they think they can do to destroy our culture, our history, you know, and everything that we've lived for, that our ancestors lived for. They blood, sweat, and tears and death in order to preserve our legacy. Can you explain a little bit about how the pipeline would destroy that legacy? Well, because of the compression station, they'll have the right of way. Mm-hmm. to come on our land whenever they feel like it. Mm. You know, just from that easement that they want from us, which is basically connecting the Transco line to the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Okay. So there is like a, an acre. Okay. But that is a valuable acre to our family history that, you know, we're not letting them just come and take it, you know. And how big is Union Hill about, you think? Good question. Okay. Um, I would say they're approximately, as far as population, 200. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just give a little perspective of the chosen place of this compression station. Um, You said the surrounding counties around are all white. Now, was this place and space always the first choice for this uh, compression station? No. No, there is a... Wait, who is this voice right here that's just (laughs) chimed on in? Hi, I'm Mary Finley-Brook from the University of Richmond, and there has been very specific analysis done. There were two sites that were being studied for the compressor station. One is further away, so would not impact as high density of a population. The um, demographics of that area is definitely more white, mm-hmm. uh, and there are other reasons why uh, there was a, a slightly longer construction for the pipeline that the the company said that that was not their site of choice. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons as to why people are, are discussing how they picked one site over the other. Mm-hmm. Both sites would have damage to wetlands. Both sites would have damage to forests. Both sites would have damage to people, but certainly the one they chose, the fact that it was a tobacco plantation and that w- it was surrounded by this high-density African-American community mm-hmm. is it speaks for itself. Oh, my goodness. So, Mary, um, go ahead and give yourself your introduction. You said you were from University of Richmond. And how else are you connected into this work? So at the University of Richmond, I teach environmental studies, geography, and global studies. Mm-hmm. And I have been involved with the Virginia Environmental Justice Collaborative Mm -hmm. since it was lifting itself off the ground. We're still a pretty new organization since 2014 or 2015. I've been involved since 2015. Uh, And what this is, is a group of 
many being grassroots organizations, also environmental organizations, small businesses, academia, faith-based organizations that are concerned about discrimination, particularly with our environmental policies and with the impact of our environmental management. So I'm on the steering committee of the Environmental Justice Collaborative, and that's the collaborative that made the recommendation to, it was uh, the, the former governor, to create the Environmental Justice Council okay. uh, that now serves under Governor Northam, a, 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 you know, a new, a new revived council uh, in its second phase. But okay. that's one of the things the collaborative has done. Okay, so you named two different organizations in that. Lift those names again for me one more time. So... The Virginia Environmental Justice Collaborative is okay. grassroots. We Beautiful. work with frontline communities and we're grassroots and okay. we're spreading across the state. As a result of our work, we uh, during some of the discussions on clean power plan and how we could clean up our energy, mm -hmm. one of the recommendations, and it was made by Reverend Dr. Faith Harris and myself, uh, there was a recommendation to actually have a council that would look at these issues you know, certainly within DEQ, Department of Environmental Quality, but there's all kinds of health issues, there's all kinds of transportation issues, environmental injustice or environmental racism right. we find across the state. Right. So let's go ahead and give us a quick picture about climate justice and what is that and how is it showing up right now? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you went there because that's how I got started on this. And I and I have to say, I've always been interested in environmental justice at an international level. Because I worked internationally, I didn't see what was going on in Virginia the way I needed to, right. probably until recent years. Right. And so one of the things we could talk about with climate justice is understanding how all over the world, Populations who are the most vulnerable, so whether it's communities of color or low-income communities, are the most impacted, whether it's drought, whether it's flood, whether it's the intensity of tropical storms. And so recognizing that, we want to think about, well, what does that mean here in the state of Virginia? Because it's right. not just this global thing that happens out there. So we talk about the sea level rise, certainly in the whole Hampton Roads area. Yeah, we just saw that recently last month, right, with a lot of the flooding. And the way that that impacts families there is very disproportionate. So working with frontline communities there that, you know, their school buses can't come in to take the kids to school. Wow. Those are low-income families. Sometimes that's even in state-subsidized housing. Mm -hmm. uh, finding out that to be able to get back to your house after the floodwaters have come up, it happens very quickly. Right. Uh, sometimes you need to walk through water to get home. And I've had people tell me repeatedly that they feel the water burn their skin because wow. there's an awful lot of toxicity, if we know anything about the Hampton roads area. So those types of things. The other thing that I very much noticed is when we have these tropical storms, the, the coal ash ponds that we're not resolving, that we leave wide open, mm -hmm. that often gets picked up in the hurricanes or it gets picked up and it gets spread into people's drinking water. Wow. So these can are, you explain for our listeners what a coal ash pond is? I sure will, because it's one of the ways that climate justice becomes not just international, but you know, into our drinking water. So when you burn coal, mm -hmm. it's dirty all the way through. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that it's dirty is that at the end, you're going to have a lot of ash. Yeah. And you're going to have to store that somewhere. And we have not found permanent places to put that. Mm -hmm. You know, in some instances, they're lined. In some instances, they're not lined. Because it's not lined, yes, that much more of the, the these are heavy metals. They're highly toxic. Mm -hmm. And this gets into our drinking water, especially right. when those storms come in. And so this is under discussion now as to where we're going to have to put that stuff. Are we going to truck it? Are we going to train it? Are we going to put it in what other landfills? What you're really telling me, Mary, right now is that there has been a 
lot of uh, money and resources put into creating energy, but not a lot of oversight to make sure it's not impacting our environment negatively. And that's the conversation that we're having right now is trying to be proactive with what's happening in Union Hill and also across the Virginia. I want to also lift some other pipelines that are also taking place. And honestly, the person that I've been following to help even educate myself on how I need to be watching and holding these different energy folks accountable is our last guest for the day. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Whitney. Introduce yourself. My name is Whitney. Um, I have been doing a podcast that was airing up until a few months ago, was airing here on WRIR every other week um, called End of the Line. And um, got involved in looking at specifically Dominion as an issue that affects our state back in Mm 2014-ish, actually more locally because they have such an influence over our local politicians, our state politicians. And then they announced the ACP, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Right. Um, And I was sort of involved early on more in a grassroots way, more in a trying to figure out what what we can do as, as people here on the ground. Um, and trying to visit those communities that were affected. And then by about 2017, um, I realized I wanted to do a podcast specifically about the two pipelines that are coming through Virginia. Um, So I did that work for about two years. And what are these two pipelines? You said ACP? Yeah, there's the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, ACP, which we kind of refer to as Dominion's Pipeline. And then there's also the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which currently I say that it's, I've been saying now it's the only pipeline that's currently under construction in the state of Virginia. Um, And that's due to lots of other um, legal hurdles that ACP has faced. But there are two, and I think that's really critical for people to to keep in mind. So is this other one not a Dominion pipeline? Well, it's not not specifically Dominion. There there are definitely ties that Dominion has Mm -hmm. um, that we've learned over the years because, of course, when they when they propose projects like this, they very rarely ever, it's very rarely ever the thing that you think it's going to be in the very beginning. They sometimes, one of the things they like to do is we're going to give you a little piece of it here Mm -hmm. and then we're going to keep the other stuff kind of hidden in the background because it'll be easier for them to, I think, this is my opinion, but I think that's a tactic that they use to sort of get out ahead Mm -hmm. of public opinion to say, well, we've got we we've it's already happening yep so it's already done now we're just going to add this other thing onto there so actually mvp the mountain valley pipeline now extends would extend they're saying into north carolina just like the atlantic coast pipeline and dominion has some ties in there as well and um i think whitney for all of her work the for two years with the pipeline podcast and just bringing attention to us locally like how this um, is intersecting a lot of the work that's happening here in Richmond as far as our racial inequities and what we're seeing and how that's our drinking water our air our housing how our housing is maintained therefore then impacting our own health um, and it's why we're having a pretty big and what might seem like a complicated conversation but it's important that we are seeing you know, and hearing what's happening in Hampton Roads, as Mary just described, as we're talking about what Whitney is saying over the last two years, that this has been years in the making. Um, but, and then also coming back to right now, what is happening in Union Hill? And what were some of these reactions in Union Hill when the compressor station was first proposed? Well, a lot of apathy, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um we couldn't get the folk 
educated enough to understand because they didn't particularly participate right. when there were forums or discussions surrounding the impact that the pipeline and compression station will have. And then, of course, you know, Dominion dangled a carrot in the eyes of some folk in the form of some monetary compensations mm -hmm. that they went straight gun-ho ahead mm. for the money, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but... Uh, no, is that something that people might hear that, right? And be uh -huh. like, well, that's a conspiracy theory, or I don't think they're really out here, like, giving people money. Like, what does that actually look like oh, when they're yeah, dangling they've, money? They've offered, uh, just for the easement that they wanted on our land, mm -hmm. they a uh, measly $6,000. I'm sorry? A measly $6,000 that they came to us with that offer for the less than an acre, the, the going rate for acreage in that Buckingham County area mm -hmm. is $3,000 an acre. Mm -hmm. They offered us 6000 mm -hmm. thinking that we would say yes. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I I, I was in right in front of a McGuire Woods representative, and I looked at him and I laughed at him and walked away. Mm -hmm. You know, because they showed me the numbers on paper. They mm -hmm. had a, a printout <laughs> of all the offers that they made to the community members in Union Hill. Oh, so in order to be like, hey, everyone's doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They they even hired someone as a liaison mm -hmm. from for to Dominion to Union Hill that has ties in Union Hill. I gotcha. So to help support their cause of disseminating information on how the pipeline will not be harmful, how the pipeline would be good for jobs, how the pipeline would be good for the economy in Union Hill, where they offered. Uh, $5.1 million for uh, uh, first responders because Union Hill is basically a food desert, mm -hmm. uh, first responders, emergency care uh, desert, yep. as well as a broadband desert. So they were making these offers right. and getting folk to say, oh, wonderful, you're mm -hmm. going to help us. Richard, I'm going to be really honest with you. So when, and I'm going to keep lifting Whitney's name in this very specifically because that's how I was getting these in my DMs all the time, especially in February when a lot of just controversy was coming out. Exactly what you just said were coming out of uh, black neighborhoods, black politicians. It was, well, they're going to bring these jobs. They're going to bring these resources that we can't otherwise get. So we, we need to take this offer. And you're sitting there shaking your head, right? So what's the problem with that? They're hustling folk. <laughs> That's what the problem is. <laughs> That's all it amounts to. Right. It's a pro it's a professional hustle yeah. that they throw in these dollars mm -hmm. and, you know, and say, well, we're going to do this for you. We're going to do it. You know, I, and I'm not so big on the Navy Hill project, mm. you know, but I'm very leery yeah. of African-American politicians in Virginia. I, I truly am, you know. You're not the only one. Yeah, I, you know, I, I saw it with uh, the former administration with this doggone um, Redskins camp. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Dwight Jones has lifelong, lifelong inheritance to the Redskins skybox, you know. And, and I hate to say it, LeVar has become a good friend of mine, but I hope that that's not the case with him with this Navy Hill project, yeah. that he's taking the money and getting a kickback in order for them to get this construction going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't you know, I don't know if I'm going to have to come back to you later and say edit this. <laughs> but um, 
No, it and and to be honest, that's an, another dynamic that I also play as a Richmond resident is my relationship with Lavar and also just continuing to question just the moves yeah. of of everything. Yeah. Now, so going back to Buckingham, right? They're offering people money. When when do you all start to organize? Well, I didn't come on just as Mary said, Doctor uh, Finley Brooks said earlier. Till it's been about a year now. Okay. Okay. Just last year. All right. These folk, the Friends of Buckingham, the Circle of Protection, mm-hmm. uh, Sierra Club, these folk have been fighting it for the, mm-hmm. they've been fighting it for the last five years. So these are grassroots organizations. Grassroots that have know. been very involved, and I'm ever so grateful for the energies and the efforts that they have done right. prior to me coming on board. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got a running joke with them mm-hmm. because they always put me up to be a speaker. I said, it's your fault. Y'all put me up on the platform, <laughs> you know. So, right. I, but I, I do it out of out of gratitude for what they've already done right. to get us to this point now. Right. You know, um, and I was just saying the other day, I drove 400 miles mm-hmm. round trip to speak for three minutes, <laughs> but it was worth it. Right. Yeah, right. it was worth it just to, to continue the fight to mm-hmm. get the exposure that hopefully will get the more national exposure on Virginia mm-hmm. that'll help turn the thinking of individuals that reside here that they can realize that this is a for real fight right it's not that apathy that we yeah, get yeah yeah we right? need to change that whole uh thinking that whole perspective on you know well why is not going to affect me why should i be concerned about it? Mm-hmm. everyone needs to be concerned about it because if it's not union hill it'll be richmond soon you know and it is richmond because of them the barrels of the coal ash that are being buried below the jays right you right. know so environmental climate justice is everybody's issue everybody's issue and i appreciate you also bring up what's happening in richmond right now and it might not be a pipeline but we've got to look at the players that are all at the table at the chess table right um i want to ask a little bit about what's the status now of what's happening in union hill well i'm going to yield to Mary because she's more specific on the rulings and the processes that we've gone through. Great. And Mary, could you also maybe take us a little bit of how we got here to where we are now? Well, I wanted to go back to some of those national influences and then bring me back to the, the most local. So when President Trump came into office, he put out a list of 100 infrastructure projects that he thought were most important. The only pipeline that was on it was the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. So this is something that does have quite a bit of wheeling and dealing going on in Washington, D.C. So Wait a minute. I need, I need to stop. 45 has on a priority list the ACP. From coming into office. From and there's been several office. of times. And this is what Whitney said is the Dominion Pipeline. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any idea how it got on that list? Well, we'd have to understand Washington, D.C. a lot better than I'm going to try and do right now. Sure. But one thing that I will say is there's been several times where there have been lawsuits. And so the Southern Environmental Law Center has been, and many other legal organizations, you know, when we have all kinds of legal support at this point for all of the multiple court cases that have to do with the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. But certainly in this instance, they've been able to, to pause and stop repeatedly. And when that's happened, 
there's suddenly been these like clauses that pop up on other bills at the national level that are trying to slip in permission to cross the Appalachian Trail. Wow. This is definitely something we want to connect. So I have in front of me, if anybody has not looked at it, I really recommend looking at Lil Sis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Big Brother, look at Lil (laughs) Sis and look at what they have documented with Dominion Energy. And so not only is Dominion Energy, the ownership going to large corporations like BlackRock, and we need to be talking about some of these national and international actors, but we also need to look at the contracts that are with U.S. Uh, Coast Guard, with the FBI, with the Forest Services. And so there's this very, very tight relationship with federal bodies, Mm -hmm. as well as then let's take it down to the state level. Mm -hmm. We know these types of exchanges happen. We know with Dominion being headquartered here in Richmond, Mm -hmm. there is a very, very tight relationship, and there always has been with local politicians. And so many instances, um, if you go in and you're trying to meet with your representatives and you see people coming out of the office in front of you, they're going to be oil and gas. I don't know that Dominion goes down and, and does it on the floor at that level. I think they have you know more closed door than that. But certainly that type of constant um, involvement working with all of our agencies uh, and then coming so, down to where so it could I, go. Yeah. I just want to back up just to give people what you said. You said littlesis.org and ha- being able to go to the givings tab and just looking at the different relationships of these elected officials and the money that's going back and forth. Continue. And there's been amazing research that's come out and many national organizations have been taking Dominion Energy and Duke Energy mm-hmm. and saying these are two of the worst on climate. They talk big they don't do it. In fact, they, they as talk we've talked big, about, but don't do it. I think that that is a key I keep seeing too, because these folks had a whole um, clean energy summit in September. They, all of the speakers are from Dominion. I mean, they are creating their own narrative about what they're supposed to be doing. But then you look at the actual behaviors, the laws, what they're building, and it's not. Keep going. So one thing to pay attention to at the end of October, October 29th, 30th or 31st, the Union Hill court case will be in the Fourth Circuit Court oh, here wow. in, in Richmond. So that will be when we'll really have some sense on how that will be heard. That's a huge date. We've been waiting for a long time. Um, you know, this will continue. I think whichever way that goes, people are going to appeal and we're going to keep going. Um, so paying attention to that is certainly important. So October 29th or 30th? Or 31st. We don't have the, okay. we, it's those, it's, you know, in the docket of between the 29th, 30th, and 31st. Okay, great. So we'll definitely keep our listeners up to date on that. I'm making that face, that wow (laughs) face when Mary just said that, because I didn't know. I'm learning that now. And also just because for listeners, I think it's important to know that the Fourth Circuit has been a venue where pretty much every legal challenge to both of these pipelines has come through in the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. And the Fourth Circuit, I can think of one instance where the Fourth Circuit uh, sided with the pipeline companies. Okay. There's been a lot of, and I, and I don't Out always. Out of how many decisions, though? There, oh, God, dozens. I, don't, I can't think of all of them. But, I mean, every permit that has been challenged for the Mountain Valley or the Atlantic Coast Pipeline has gone to the Fourth Circuit. And it is pretty much always, they have always sided with the, the people. The people. And it's really surprising. And it's, it's really encouraging. So I would definitely pay attention to that case. <laughs> wow. And a lot of people don't hear about those decisions. What I'm hearing is people are like, well, it's already happening. We can't stop it. Right. Like it's, it's done. They told us it's done. So we're just going to leave it alone. Right. And then, and then I think that comes back to the playbook that they use, right? Like th- there's, a, there's a list of things 
that I've kind of keep in my head, um, especially because it's not just pipelines, it's also gas power plants that they're proposing in Charles City County. And all of these companies use the same tactics. They want to tell people it's a done deal. There's no reason to fight it. They want to tell people you don't have anything to lose. Like no we're, risk. We're going to give you all this money and obviously you're going to take it because everyone needs money. Right. And especially when when they target specific communities that are desperate for money, for jobs, for resources. <laughs> right. right. It, it it becomes this this narrative that we're your savior. Of, we're your savior. <laughs> yeah. And of I'm course. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's I mean, we've heard this in Charles City County also recently. We heard we've heard people there say it is highly offensive that you would come into this community and tell me that that I have nothing to lose mm -hmm. because I have my health, clean air, clean water. And these companies, mm -hmm. health and wealth is something that they steal. So before people. we get back to Mary and the national view, you mentioned Charles City. Is that another place and space that is kind of being infiltrated right now? Yeah, and and that's something that um that that's happening in real time right now. Okay. And it's it's a gas power plant. It's not a Dominion plant, but there are some other scary things in the fact that it's an unregulated private company that we have no idea actually who it is. And that's a whole other That's a whole other conversation that But definitely yeah. people should pay attention because Charles City is about 25 miles south of Richmond. Yeah. And so yeah. Mary, let's get let's get back to you. Let's kind of get back to what you were talking about, the trickle effect of these bills keep coming up that will allow permission for these local actions, right? So talk to us a little bit more about some steps that have been taken and why this all matters. Well, I want to hit the why this all matters because yeah. one of the things that I do with my research and, and the reason why I have to do this research, so I started off in coal because as we know, coal is super toxic. We didn't learn anything from coal. We're coming in, we're doing that same playbook, these same communities right. that have already lived with coal. Because right now, coal is a, is a hero in a lot of, I mean, narratives, let's be honest. So thank you for saying that very directly, that coal actually has not been our friend. It's been so problematic and we work with so many communities that have been poisoned and the children have asthma and you know cancer clusters it goes on and on this is very toxic stuff it stays around for a very long time but the thing about natural gas is there and I don't even call it natural gas I call it fracked gas or unnatural gas or right. unconventional gas because the way that we get it is very very toxic but there's a lot of media and public relations money that's being spent by Dominion Energy and others if you turn on your television you're gonna see it where they're trying to make this seem like it's something that is not harmful and so first of all it's harmful where it's being extracted we know that in where the gas rigs are that is poisoning people's water we have proof of that that's not happening in Virginia so let's talk about the toxicity here in Virginia certainly in the drilling of the pipeline process when they go through horizontal directional drilling under the our hundreds of our water bodies and that's what will happen there's lots of things that can happen but those legacy pollutants from coal and from all of these spills and things we haven't managed over the time that are in riverbanks that gets stirred up and then also the way they do do it with fossil fuel lubricants and with clay that gets out into the water a lot of this can end up in people's drinking water the greatest toxicity though has been targeted towards Union Hill let's be clear it is the compressor station this is one of the biggest compressor stations in the country wow. it's gigantic normally they're only spaced out like every hundred miles this one has 200 miles which means more force more explosion more high pressure more 
stuff moving through it and more emissions coming out into that local air. They were able to do it because Union Hill is clean. Right. And now they're going to push it right up to those highest levels. And the thing about the way that it's measured is its annual averages from um, monitoring stations that are very far away. So they're going to say it's not hurting anybody, but that's not at that point of contact where those most proximate populations have particulate matter, have all of these things that they're breathing in, that their children are breathing, or the elders who have compromised immunities. So there's a lot of health conditions already pre-existing. When you put it in a community like that and you say it's safe, that in my mind violates all scientific information. Yeah. The Physicians for Social Responsibility, we have a lot more peer-reviewed publications coming out on the dangers of this. And it's taken a little bit while, uh, while because it pushed out so quickly. Right. We got all of these pipelines yeah. and all of these compressor stations. And now we need to have 10 years of scientific data showing that that child got cancer or that child has a health condition. It's coming out. We know the families that are being interviewed in these long-term health studies. But Dominion and other people are able to use the, this time where it hasn't come out as strongly in the scientific literature, not even yet. though it's there, right. Right. to say, oh, it's not dangerous. I can tell you this is what I do compressed, uh, unnatural gas, certainly compressed gas, liquefied natural gas. We have to talk about all the ways it's being used, but any type of fracked gas is toxic. Right. And we're talking a lot about compressor stations. So can somebody please just really quickly explain what those look like in a community? And you said spread out over 200 miles, which makes it seem to me like there would only be one every 200 miles. So Right. So normally they are about every 100 miles apart. There is only one in Virginia. There will be another one with the Mountain Valley pipeline expansion. But as far as the Atlantic Coast pipeline, there is only one compressor station, although the one that's North Carolina's is right on the border, like literally right on the border. We're getting those emissions. What it does is it moves the natural gas. It compresses and moves the natural gas through the pipeline. Absolutely necessary, but it does have to release both through blowdowns and through just general maintenance a lot of toxicity. So it comes out through picking operations. There's another thing called the metering and regulation that is super toxic that's going to be right next to the Harper land. We've been talking with Richard. So it's right in these communities and it's highly toxic and it, and people don't know that. And that's one of the main reasons I've gone from doing every type of energy out there. And I do renewables too, right. to focusing almost all of my attention on gas in Virginia, because we have such build out and there's such false information. So why why is Dominion so pushed on this pipeline, right? Like, why are they saying we need a pipeline for our energy? It's going to be better for Virginia energy if we have a pipeline. Like, what? Why? Why this pipeline? Why? I understand they need to connect it, make it longer, bigger. That's what I kind of heard from you. So why for this push? They they already have the existing Transco line, so the ACP is not necessary. Okay. It's all about the dollar. Okay. It's just a, 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 another Tom Farrell hustle. Is anyone saying it's necessary besides Tom Farrell? They sell to themselves, and so they are their own customers. And so they maybe have some subsidiaries or people who are benefiting it down the line. They have definitely gone into some communities, particularly low-income communities, and gotten some local officials to suggest that it would be helpful, but those communities can't even afford the, the lines into their communities. And right. so they've gotten people to say it that are associated with them. So what I've been told from uh, experts in the field who have uh, kind of 
who used to work in the industry and know a lot about this. We've, we've actually got some people on our side who are doing that work and sharing that knowledge with us. And one of them is named Tom Hadwin. And what he told us is, and what he told the podcast um, is that the pipeline companies, the, the energy, energy companies have started going into the pipeline building business mm. because they get a guaranteed rate of return that is higher than the rate of return that they get for building other infrastructure like a power plant, like transmission lines. There's a lot going on there in terms of, of the formula that an energy company uses to make a profit and how what and the service they provide to, to customers. But with the pipelines, they get a higher rate of return. But not only that, they get the chance to charge that infrastructure cost back to their ratepayers. Wow. And what and what Richard said is was really important. Um, and we talked about it earlier, we mentioned the Transco line. So the Transco line has been in service for decades. It runs north and south through um, the eastern eastern side of the continent. And um, it actually, I think in 2015, right, Mary, it was, it was actually um, redesigned to flow both north and south. And they expanded capacity. Now, keep in mind, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline and Mountain Valley were proposed in 2014. Wow. So all of this and all of these grassroots groups are trying to find all this information all in, during that time. And so so the whole point is that there's a huge build out. There's a huge overbuild um, because they get money for because this. Mo- so it, it yeah. sounds like it's like, well, we have options of how to do this. The most profitable one for us would be the pipeline, no matter the actual impact on a lot of these communities. And that kind of gets me to more of what I want to hear from you, Whitney, is just like, so what are some of these motivations? Like, what do you, what else are you seeing out there? Um, well, I've, like I said earlier in my intro, I guess I've been trying to pay attention to Dominion issues since about 2014 um, because we were seeing a lot of coming, sort of actually coming out of the Shaco Bottom Stadium okay. fight here in Richmond. We were, uh, my friends and I were trying to pay attention to all of these players in Richmond, mm-hmm. um, all of these business interests. And it's obviously a long, long history in Richmond of, of that involvement. But what I'm seeing... Um, over the last five years, really kind of starting with the pipeline fight in 2014, I think five years ago, Dominion Energy or Dominion Resources, whatever they were called, um, I think people thought of them as just this benign entity that serves our, our electricity and they didn't really think about it that much. Right. And it was it's really interesting when you start to trace how you started to see in Richmond their name popping up all over the city mm-hmm. on in art galleries on top you know on on buildings like center stage they they put their name on the the new renovations for the theater downtown and i think that we're seeing a shift mm-hmm. in people's perception of dominion as this institution um, that they like to portray themselves as the good neighbor um, but starting with pipelines very slowly in 2014, the rate freeze bill in 2015, um, the coal ash dewatering where they were going to be dumping this coal ash wastewater into the James River, into rivers all over Virginia. These narratives have started coming out to the public and the public has started noticing, I think. Yeah. Um, to the point where Style Weekly in 2016, I said, I think, um, printed that they were public enemy number one. Wow. And that was huge. That then. is huge. And then a year later, 2017, is when Jeff Shapiro, he had his RTD podcast that really 
dove into this rise of Dominion, right? They hired Tom Farrell and then it became a whole different business. Uh, and it, it's describing what you're saying. Hey, they're popping up a lot of places. They're and, switching over. And what they're also doing at the same time is it's not just in, in the state of Virginia. Right. I mean, they're buying up other. What Dominion tries to do, it seems, is they, they, they are a huge company. We all know this. And they have a lot of wealth. They have a lot of power to buy up other companies. Mm -hmm. um, they have expanded into South Carolina. What I think is happening, honestly, is that we're that because of all of the the the, the shifting um, perception with climate change, with the the narrative and the the truth that we need to we really need to change what we're doing. Um, they're seeing politicians you know, deny their, you know, say, we're not going to take Dominion money. Mm -hmm. They're seeing this shift. And I think that they know that it's changing. Yeah. And what's going to happen is I think this is what people really have to pay attention to now is they're going to start putting out things like we're going to do uh, offshore wind now. They've sat on those leases since 2014. Yeah. <laughs> and and that only came out when they lost a, a lawsuit in the state corporation commission to another other renewable energy companies. Mm. So they're going to start they're going to hold on to all of those things that they could be doing that we've been demanding for years and right. that we need. Right. They're going to hold on to those until the last minute and they're going to use them for good PR. Right. But we have to I think I think that as as a public we have to be vigilant all the time about who it's serving and and who has access? Mm -hmm. Is it big box stores like Costco or is it people in public housing? Right, right. And I mean, who, not just who it's serving, but also who it's like actually benefiting the most, right? right. We might get a sponsorship on a great community program, but who's actually benefiting from what's, what's going on? I wanna shift to like what's happening recently. And we know last month there was a climate strike and there's just a lot of other things that are going on. I know, Mary, you're involved of some different boards, councils that are meeting and just like, what's your experience right now? So a very common word being heard in my networks is greenwashing. And what that means is, you know, pretending that you're really doing the things you should be doing to address climate and to address the environment, but not actually doing it. I love that so much. And so we really do, you know, the, the environmental justice movement, you know, I can say I talk to people throughout it. We're very much in support of renewables. We want to see that happening. So to see that happen is excellent. It's something we're all supporting. The way that it's being done does not necessarily always help communities. It isn't necessarily, for example, low-income solar. It isn't community solar. It isn't um, dealing with energy burdens. It isn't dealing with those issues of inequity. So that's a problem. But the bigger problem is it's being said we think to distract and take attention away from much more devastating climate impacts from these pipelines and from this fracked gas infrastructure and from the coal ash ponds right. and from, you know, they're, they're trying to put gas on school buses now, compressed gas to say that that's good. Again, that's pushing a market that's going to be incredibly profitable to them. So what we're, we're trying to point out is they're doing something incredibly toxic, overall much worse for the climate than any of these renewables that they're talking about about right. and yet they're trying to blow up renewables as if that's what they were doing and it, it's it's very problematic to be thinking we're not any smarter than that right. and but it does do a divide and conquer within the environmental movement so there's yeah. a lot of big green organizations that kind of want to support that stuff because they think that's how you're going to address climate change and then there's people in the environmental justice movement that know that those markets are not going to benefit any of the vulnerable communities or the people who haven't benefited over time so we're just going to reinforce who's benefiting from the green 
green economy mm-hmm. the way that we've you know had these same problems with fossil fuels. So there's concerns in many instances, and this doesn't just happen in Union Hill, but Union Hill, the, again, the playbook has come out from the beginning of how they came in with that $5.1 million that was announced. Just so you know how people know that happened, the Air Board was supposed to be making a decision, and you're not supposed to introduce new information. Uh, and so they came in with that $5.1 million bribe, as many people are calling it, and the Air Board couldn't make a decision when it got pushed off and the governor yanked to people from the air board and then it turned against union hill we have to bring okay, this wait, all wait. into context yeah, we're gonna ha- let's let's back that up for the <laughs> listeners because that seems like a, a pretty interesting shift let's take that there was an air board what is what's the yeah yeah so uh gosh it's there was so much happening in the late 2018 early 2019 in richmond um so in november i think is when we had the first air board meeting for the compressor station for the Atlantic Coast Pipeline in Union Hill. Mm-hmm. What's the Air Board? Is, the Air Board is a, a citizen board of about six or seven people. Okay. And they're appointed by the governor. Okay. And they serve about four-year terms, I think. So we had two days of meetings where the first day the public would present their comments. And then on the second day, the DEQ presents their staff recommendations to the Air Board. And the Air Board is the one who makes the ultimate decision on whether to approve those those permits. Okay. Um, so on the day that they were going to make the decision, mm-hmm. uh, they decided and people presented amazing information. People like Mary, people from the community, the research that they have done, uh, and they presented this case that the DEQ was literally erasing the people of Union Hill, and they were erasing the cultural impacts and the historical, um, you know, elements that that ex- have always existed in that community. That was that was nowhere in the reports for years. Wow. And they used different demographic data, different tools to kind of, you know, just like fudge the numbers a little bit to make it seem like th- this was not an environmental justice issue. Right. Um, And then what happened was we had one person on the board who, actually, let me back up. We had about three people on the board who were asking really, really good questions. Mm -hmm. And the people in the audience, here we are in the greater greater Richmond Convention Center in this depressing room. Mm -hmm. And everyone who was there was listening to the, the board members asking these good questions about environmental justice, about did you contact, did you, what, how did you interact with this community? asking really good questions that that we wanted to hear asked Mm -hmm. and we were really really excited we really felt like maybe they're going to deny this permit they're going to hear us and there was one person who said you know we've got a lot of information in front of us i think we need more time i think we need to wait let's have another meeting a month from now because we all need to keep talking about this we want to do this justice I'm not directly quoting, but that was the gist. We're going to wait so that we can assess this a little bit better. Okay. And everyone thought, okay, maybe that, that, okay, that's good. They didn't, they didn't approve it. They're right. going to actually listen. Okay. Five days later, we heard that Governor Northam was dismissing two members of the Air Board, and they happened to be two of the members who raised questions about environmental justice. What? And it was, it was shocking. Just out of shocking. nowhere? At, well, so these two these two board members were they, they they were their terms were up I think in June, but they the the what Governor Northam said was these board members serve at the pleasure of the governor, oh. and Whoop. here we are in the middle of this very very important decision that's been five years in the making, right? And he can't wait a month to keep those people on 
who have been there the whole time mm -hmm. and who know this issue. Mm -hmm. And so what ended up happening was we had, and ultimately we had a decision about two months later with only four people out of a seven member board mm -hmm. who made that decision and they passed it unanimously. Wow, after and I, the governor intervened. Yes, and what, what I have interpreted that is that was a direct intervention mm -hmm. because Dominion, I think they realized it was either gonna be a split vote mm -hmm. or they were just gonna get denied. And they, they couldn't be denied this permit because you absolutely have to have a compressor station for a pipeline. Right. And ironically, I think it was either the week before or the couple of days after he pulled the two members, mm -hmm. uh, McGuire Woods did a major fundraiser for him mm -hmm. at their headquarters downtown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, it's all about, you know, that money. Right. You know, here goes Dominion again. He probably gave a commitment of another $200,000 to Ralph Northam mm -hmm. and to intervene to have those two uh, members removed. Wow. You know, so, and, and it's just a sequence of time that you see one thing after another yeah. that shows the corruption of, of, of Farrell mm -hmm. and, and the government, yep. you know, the, the, I, and I'm almost to the effect of saying most of the politicians in the general assembly yes. are receiving funds from dominion in order, you know, and I said this at the rally we were at on Friday. Um, I was in Charlottesville at the climate, uh, at UVA. And I said that, you know, in no uncertain terms, dominion is a pimp. And the politicians are the prostitutes. Mm. So he's paying them and pimping them mm. to do his bidding. Right. And it's going on and on and on. Right. I've, I've heard from several rookies that if you go in there with a, a clean bill, like a clean climate bill, you're going to have a lobbyist waiting for you when you get back. Sure. Right. Sure. And I just want to wrap this up and, and give you some space, Richard, to tell us what, what's the work look like moving forward? Well, bringing out the uh, inequalities that are going on, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm a big advocate about the systemic racism mm -hmm. throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. And right. this is just another factor, mm -hmm. environmental racism, right. you know, along with educational, social, economic, uh, political, yeah. you know, it's all in, listen, I, I've done my homework and Virginia is in the top 25 of the most racist states in the country. And we host the former capital of the Confederacy. We yeah. live it right here. Yeah. So all of that 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 uh, plagues people of color or low-income communities is a direct result of the systemic racism. Politicians that, and, you know, I don't bite my tongue about this, that are probably third and second and fourth generation cluckers, you know, they want to maintain yeah. Virginia as being genteel. Yeah. So whatever they have Civil. to do to deny individuals uh carter glass back in 1902 when they had the first convention of the constitution of the commonwealth of virginia he said it that this is a means and a ways to keep the darkies out of our government by disenfranchising them from voting right and, that's and it's pre prevailed ever since has nothing been changed ever since hopefully mm -hmm. in this next election right that the tides will turn, that it will flip, that we will have folk that got our best interests at heart Great. and get rid of them jokers that could care less about us.
You're right. And I appreciate that we don't have a room full of jokers and that we have people committed to this fight, to informing our community, to working with the community and continuing to spread this all across our Commonwealth and our nation. Really quickly, I just want to thank you all for being here. Please say your name and how people can follow you and find your good work. Mary Finley Brook. My Twitter is GeoYapti. Richard Walker, Bridging the Gap in Virginia, www.bridgingthegapinvirginia.org. Whitney Whiting, Pipeline Podcast, uh, pipelinepodcast.org. Beautiful. Thank you all so much for being here. And um, I'm sure we'll probably invite you guys back sometime in the future. This is not over. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as Dr. Finley Brook mentioned, at the end of October, the Union Hill court case will be heard in the Fourth Circuit Court. The ACP has encountered several legal barriers because of permitting issues, and for now, the construction of the ACP has come to a complete halt. Its fate is pending in the Supreme Court, which is expected to decide in early 2020 on whether or not Dominion and Company can burrow underneath the Appalachian Trail in order to see its completion. Stay tuned for part two, where Race Capital continues the conversation from Union Hill to Navy Hill. I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the M.